0: The big thing about stage fright, and I say this to everyone, is if this goes well or if this goes terribly or if this goes somewhere in between, your life is going to be pretty much the same tomorrow.
1: That kind of confidence, it really makes you confident everywhere. I feel like it ripples out into other areas of
0: your life. The second I walked on stage and I looked out into the crowd and I had a moment of like, you've just begun.
1: Welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. This week's episode is so much fun. It is such a special episode, and I'm so excited that you're here. I want to start off this intro by asking you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that you're standing on a stage with a microphone in front of you on a stand and a spotlight on you, and lots of people watching you in the audience. And you have five minutes to tell them a story about you and something that happened in your life. And your goal is to captivate them and entertain them and get everyone interested in and listening to your story and you. If you were ever to find yourself in a situation like this, so many questions would come up. What story would you share? How would you make it engaging? Do you even have anything interesting to say or anything interesting to share? How do you deal with the stage fright? How do you deal with that intimidating feeling of being in front of all these people? And how do you open up authentically and speak to them and share this story about you in a way that connects? And I'm not sharing this fictional scenario with you to make you nervous, but I'm sharing it with you because today's guest helps people with that. She has dedicated her entire career to teaching the art of storytelling. And if you're familiar with or you've ever heard of The Moth, which is a storytelling competition, she is a prior champion of The Moth and now teaches storytelling to others and travels the world telling her own stories. And the reason that I was so excited to have her on the show is because so many of the foundational building blocks that go into being an effective storyteller, which is knowing how to captivate an audience, knowing how to connect with an audience, being vulnerable and authentic, so many of those things are the same things that make you captivating in a work environment and really help you speak up and open up, not only in a way that makes people want to listen to you and tune into you and what you're saying, but in a way that feels good to you and in a way that makes you feel like you're actually expressing yourself and who you are. And I was super excited to invite her on the show because I've been reading one of her books on storytelling and so many of the things that she shares in it directly apply to my own journey and all of our journeys of building confidence and learning to use our voices and learning to powerfully connect with the people around us in the workplace. And this conversation is full of honest insights and tips and advice on not only how to find your voice and not only how to speak in a way that is compelling to others, but also how to get past fear and stage fright, how to become comfortable with what you want to say, and how to ultimately excel in the art of connecting with other humans, which is literally one of the most valuable things that you can learn to do professionally. I'm so excited for you to hear this interview. I can't wait for you to meet today's guest. So let's jump in and learn a little bit about her. Enjoy.
0: My name is Margot Lightman, and I teach storytelling, perform as a storyteller, and write books about storytelling, and speak about storytelling all around the world, which is a job that I realized that I completely made up. How did I get into it? I came from a theater background. I have a theater degree. And then I went into comedy for a bit, stand-up comedy and comedic acting and such. And from there, realized that what I really loved was just telling true stories on stage. So began with performing stories, and I guess I was somewhat... (laughs) to sound very like Doris Day about it, discovered from from my live performing of Telling True Stories on stage. Some corporation hired me to start teaching them how to tell stories. And I built my practice basically from performing and building up a name for myself in that way. And that developed to corporate storytelling, teaching a private practice that I teach, and then touring as a performer, eventually writing books on the subject and giving a lot of talks on the subject and leading workshops. So it built, but it built Kind of once I really focused everything in, it built built fairly quickly. Once I really, really zoned in on this, so
1: awesome. A topic that comes up a lot on this show is the topic of confidence. And obviously, as a storyteller, you're frequently in front of people, sharing your voice. Have you always been confident from the start, or did you have a journey of becoming just like more okay with who you are and comfortable speaking and sharing stuff in front of people?
0: It's interesting because. I think I have had the reverse of a lot of my friends who come from a place where they are comfortable being someone else when they're on stage, whether that is as an actor or as, you know, I am my corporate self and then my real self. And I was always uncomfortable being someone else. Uh, I always felt weird doing improv and playing a character. I was like, can't we just like to be ourselves here? Even though I have a degree in theater, I'm not really a great actor. So there was also that too. I think I was always more comfortable being myself. Yes. Having a spotlight on me is something I'm not as comfortable with. In terms of, I don't really like, I like to be on stage Yes, I'm very comfortable on stage, but I have trouble with, like when I got married, I had trouble with being in the spotlight in that way, you know, having a lot of attention on me in that regard as the bride or the new mom or something like that. Things like that, I struggle a lot with being in the center of. Like there's nothing that makes me more uncomfortable than being the person that is having like a bridal shower or a baby shower or something. That for some reason makes me more nervous than getting a story and getting on stage and telling a story. Isn't that weird?
1: (laughs) That's so fascinating. I really like that you shared that though, because I think it's normalizing in a way. Because we all have these situations where it's like, ah, I feel like really afraid. And I think sometimes we feel like, oh, no one else feels afraid. I'm weird. And it's almost a relief to hear from someone like you that, okay, you get up in front of groups of people and tell incredible stories, but you still have situations where you feel afraid and you feel like it's hard to show who you are.
0: Yeah, definitely. I don't like it when it's all eyes on me in those regards. I remember when I got married, my mom, was kind enough to throw me a shower. And I was like, I don't know that I want this. And then I said, if we do this, everyone can have fun, but let's not make me the center of attention. And, you know, and she thought she was doing the right thing, but it was like, let's put, you know, a crown of flowers on her head and let's have her open her presence in front of everybody. And I'm like getting short of breath talking about it. It really made me uncomfortable, but yet I can get on stage, tell a funny story about something that went wrong, you know, like the most embarrassing moment of my life and I'm fine.
1: That's so fascinating. I'm so excited to get into like stage fright with you because I'm sure there are so many people that are like, help, like tell me how to feel calmer. So this is going to be a really fun exploration. So I guess we'll go into authenticity next because this is a big struggle, I think, for women in professional settings to be authentic. And I wanted to get your thoughts on how we come off to other people when we're sort of like tapped into authenticity versus not.
0: Yeah. I guess a couple of years ago was really maybe about 4 years ago was really when the boom of being hired for public speaking started for me when my second book long story short really took off and then I started getting hired a lot. And at that point I felt like well I'm getting hired by these big businesses to talk to them about this so I need to be a big business person. Meanwhile, I was being hired because I was the fun speaker and I was the person that was an expert in what I am an expert in, not an expert in statistics or whatever our, the company it was. And I remember I bought this red business Calvin Klein dress from Macy's that was <laughs> going to be like the dress that I wore for my corporate presentations. And I have so many photos of me in that dress, like from different TV appearances or different talks I did. First of all, I really got my money's worth. But second of all, it's completely not who I am. and. It was this weird thing. I felt like I almost had to wear a costume because I was being invited to a place that I don't work. I remember one person said, oh, no, 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 we hired you because we need a a breath of fresh air. We need some fun or something like that. And that was really eye-opening for me. And then I started slowly dressing more like myself and being myself. And I would say that at this point, do not at all try to conform to what the company is in terms of the way I appear. I appear as myself and I speak as myself. Obviously, for example, last summer, I gave a talk at a Lutheran convention for people from that religion. And I'm not Lutheran, but I was hired as a guest speaker because obviously there's a lot of tie-ins with public speaking and pastors, obviously, right? I obviously didn't get up there and start telling the dirtiest story in the world or something like that. I adapted to the audience, but I certainly didn't wear some sort of blouse I would never wear. I dressed as myself and it went great. So I may adapt the material I'm saying, but I don't adapt the way I appear or who I am. I just try to be myself. Mm.
1: I have so much baggage around those Calvin Klein dresses, and I chuckled when you shared that. Because, Do you have one? Well, not anymore. I got rid of them. But when I started early in my career and I was struggling with authenticity, I had like those dresses as the association in my mind of what a successful corporate woman wears. And I hated those dresses. I mean, no offense, like everyone has their own tastes, totally respect, but those were not me. And I remember like buying those, like it was like a pencil cut and like some of them were sleeveless. And I thought like, that's what I had to wear. I think I have the same dress as you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. For some reason, like that's the dress that I thought. And I associate that dress with the image of the quote unquote professional woman that I think a lot of women feel squeezed into that I'm sort of like trying to break the mold of and say like, you can be weird, you can be fun, you can be quirky at work. So it's just really funny that not only do you represent that, but also the dress represented trying to fit in.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
1: Another thing that I want to get your take on is I know that a lot of women, especially at work, just struggle with speaking up and having their voice be heard. And for some reason, there are certain contexts where that Can feel like such a vulnerable thing. Sometimes, just like speaking, like when you're quiet and sitting in a meeting, you're like in your comfort zone. And then all of a sudden, when you have to talk, there's this feeling of being exposed almost, and that feels scary. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on why you think just opening up while people are listening can feel so scary.
0: I mean, it's not the feeling of being exposed as much that I think that, well, I can speak to my experience that I think it's, is this right? Am I saying the right thing? What if I say the wrong thing? I'll be humiliated. For me, and I think for a lot of women, it's, am I coming off as difficult? We have this this conception that when we speak, we're being difficult, which has been ingrained in us for so long. Then there's also, am I talking too much? And do I even know what I'm talking about? You know, the imposter syndrome. So I think it's those things that run through heads.
1: Mm -hmm. That makes so much sense. And I want to get your thoughts, especially from working with people on storytelling of having people who kind of felt like they aren't as comfortable speaking about themselves and have troubles feeling okay about sharing something personal How that evolves as you work with them, and sort of like what little moments or exercises tend to help something click for them where they're like, oh, it's okay to share this thing about myself. Like, this is safe.
0: You know, one of the things I do on the first day of class is really interesting. I have people stand in a line and they'll say, I am, and then they'll fill in anything that is true about themselves. And I just have them list or I was is another prompt I give. And so it's interesting because someone will say, I was perhaps an old job that they had that they worked at for six months. And it's like the most fascinating thing. Or they'll answer with, I was a farmer and now they work in DC You know, in politics. And I'm like, what do you mean you were a farmer? Stop, stop, stop. Tell me about this. They're like, well, I have this phase. And then there's a whole story there. But they don't remember it until you actually ask them to list all of these things. So what I always say is people are numb to their own experiences until you force them out of them. Mm. And then they don't realize it's interesting. So I truly, truly believe that the most interesting person is in the class is probably the one who didn't realize that they were. It's usually those people that walk in and they're like, well, I'm taking this class because everything happens to me. <laughs> it's like, well, okay, are you really that interesting? And then it's some people that are like, well, I don't know. I don't know why I'm here. I just..." Those are the people that have so much to say.
1: It's mm, So interesting. We kind of assume that we're the weird and boring one
0: <laughs> and we're not. I always feel like, The funniest person in the room, too, is often the person that's not showing off, but the person that listens and then says one thing that that makes everyone laugh. It's that same thing in storytelling.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And I want to get all of your thoughts on stage fright and sort of what you see with students, how you help them work through it, and what you would want someone who's struggling with that
0: to know. The big thing about stage fright, and I say this to everyone, is if this goes well, Or if this goes terribly, or if this goes somewhere in between, your life is going to be pretty much the same tomorrow. So don't worry too much about it. And I know it's in the business sense, nail the deal or the merger or whatever that is. Okay, maybe your life won't be exactly the same. But will your life go on if this doesn't go well? Yes. And even though your life may change professionally, if it does, there's still so much about it that will be the same. The importance that we put on it is also not as big as the people watching it. So, and the other thing is, i how many things have you watched presentations, talks, stories on stage, et cetera. And how many do you actually remember? Most people will just forget it.
1: It's true. I feel like it can be such a big feeling in our heads. Like it feels like such a vortex and can feel so scary, at least in my experience. But we forget that not everyone's having the same experience that we're having when we're feeling afraid.
0: Right. And I also think the thing about it is less is more in those situations. So it's like people put a lot of pressure on making something long and putting as much in as possible. But I think the shorter it can be and the easier you can hit your points, the better. I mean, I know it's about airtime, but there is a reason to give people short periods of time for their Oscar acceptance <laughs> speeches. And I know it's because I got to get to the commercial, but it's also like, get it in. And get out of there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had students or worked with anyone who are like incredible writers and have just super talented abilities to craft stories, but then struggled with the stage component and were sort of like, oh, I I want to write stories, but I don't necessarily like being in front of people.
0: Yeah, I think those people often take the class for that reason to get more comfortable being in front of people. And by the time they get to the end of the class, they've had eight sessions. I get everyone on stage multiple times every class that we do. So they're getting on stage in front of the class multiple times, not necessarily telling a polished story, but doing the exercise or presenting something that they've just jotted down, et cetera. So they've been up in front of a small group 20 times or so before that. So by the time they get to the show, they'll be nervous, but it's not as bad. And I always take the last class to run the storytelling show. Because I always say, if we can do terribly in here, and this will be a mess, and you're going to forget things, but better here than in the actual show. And so we always run it in the last class to get the nerves out. And that really helps people. But the interesting thing, Jessica, about what you just asked, I think, is because I was in the middle of teaching a class when everything shut down because of our current state of affairs. And we tried to transfer that class online, that storytelling class. And I think had it begun online, it would have been fine. But because people had had a glimpse of a few times of getting on stage in front of people and working and getting that feel, once we tried it online, almost everybody said, I'm taking this class so I can get comfortable in front of people. And now that I'm on a computer, I'm comfortable on a computer. This isn't why I took this. I took this to get over my stage fright. I took this to be able to speak in front. So I'd rather pause this and come back to it than we can be in front of people again. So I thought that was really interesting because I think that is why people do this, is to conquer it.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. and any small like tidbits or bits of encouragement for someone if they find themselves like about to give a presentation or just in those moments before, like any little things that you like to do before you get on stage or that you might have a student do to just help them calm the nerves and feel feel better about getting started?
0: I wouldn't go over it too many times. I think that makes it worse and then by the time you do it, It's so ingrained in your head so much that if you miss one word, you feel like you failed. I think that there's that over-preparedness actually can be counterproductive. And I think you still do want to make it sound like you're coming up with it off the cuff, even though you've prepared. So I would say definitely be mindful of working on something so much that you start to hate it. I think that only builds nerves. The last time I'll go over it, it'll maybe be in the car ride on the way there. And then that's it. And then once I get to the venue, it's all about being calm and in the space whether that's a professional talk or a live theater performance, et cetera.
1: Mm, Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think sometimes excessive practicing is sort of the same as like excessive, just like dwelling on the nervousness of like, oh no, oh no, no. And and the more you let your mind go there, it's like it feeds on itself.
0: Yeah, you see these people backstage just going over it and going over it and going over it and going over it. And what they're not doing is breathing at all. That's not gonna help. So I absolutely agree with you. The over-preparedness I think can be counterproductive.
1: Awesome. We're going to talk a little bit about a pain point that I know I've experienced that is like a funny but also very painful thing, which is just feeling awkward and the feeling of awkwardness. And I wanted to just start by getting your thoughts on – kind of like the experience of talking to people and feeling awkward because we're having thoughts that are like, oh, I don't have anything in common with this person. Like I have nothing to talk to them about. Any person who like you don't have that comfort level with and they're like asking you something and you're like, I don't know what to talk about. Or they're asking me how my weekend was like, what the hell do I say? <laughs> I just want to get your opinion on that experience.
0: My big trick it's like if I've met a person once, I have like a weird memory thing and I will remember what we talked about the last time. So I'll be like, Oh, how's your dog? I will try and retain something from the previous time I've met them, even if it's so small, like you said, you live in an apartment or something, then I'll just say something like, how's your place still living there? Have you moved? Like, I don't know anything, I'll ask them something that and they'll be so flattered that I remember this thing that it kind of goes in that direction. I get what you're saying kind of when you're trapped with the person, but I do try to turn it around and, and not talk too much about. Myself, because at times there's people that there is really hard to find common ground with. There just really, really, really is. So I understand that completely. But my advice would be turn it on them as much as you can, or if you've met them at all, try to remember anything from the previous conversation and bring that up. My problem is I go too deep with people. I go like really hard in, (laughs) and uh, and most people are pleasantly surprised that I'm like trying to have a genuine conversation with them rather than small talk. Most people not all.
1: <laughs> well, the reason that I wanted to even like get your thoughts on this question, and go into this topic is because I think a lot of women who are like struggling with confidence at work and trying to find themselves, you know, I think they have a hard time just kind of like Truly being themselves, you know, and we think like, oh, I'm having a conversation with this person, like, I need to ask the perfect question or say something like so witty. And I feel like sometimes it's almost just about the less you try and the more you can just show up as a human, then the easier everything feels. And it's easier for you too, because you're like not so stuck in your head of like, ah, like, what do I say? What's the
0: perfect thing to say? In a weird way, this current time that we're living in with COVID 19 has been sort of freeing in that regard that everyone is going through the same stuff. So now I'll be walking my dog, for example, and some neighbor that I don't really have anything in common with will say, how are you? And I'll go, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and they'll be like, yeah, right. And then I'll say something like, I cried making coffee today. Or, you know, you can start, it's kind of freeing right now. It's like, you can actually be genuine with people because and they'll go like, oh, really? I, I cried while sweeping. And then it's like, okay, have a good day. And they leave. And it, it's sort of freeing in this unusual time, I guess there is a small silver line of that, like everyone is having a shared experience. There actually is more to talk about with people in a weird way of just like, how are we coping? So now is probably the best time for small talk because I think people are being very real.
1: <laughs> I agree. I I posted someone's tweet that was so funny where she was like talking about business calls. And she said like, oh, I love how we just like skip the small talk and we go straight to like, well, how depressed are we? (laughs) And it was so funny because that's literally
0: been happening with my team. And I love it. Right. It is kind of awesome, right? Like, I wonder if after this, we will take this with us because I am loving the genuineness. I truly, truly, truly am. But I'm a person that goes really deep. Like, I'll tell you a really funny story about this is that I was at a party recently before everything when we could go to parties. And there was a guy at the party who I am friendly with. We're not like best friends, but we've hung out and I know him through a mutual friend. And I've known him for years, this mutual friend. And he had posted something on social media that this big tribute to his father who had passed away. And I looked at it quickly and it seemed like his father had just passed away. And so I'm at the party and he's like, how are you? And I go, well, I'm okay. Well, how are you? I mean, I'm so sorry about your dad. And he was like, yeah, it's been a year. And I go, oh, okay, sorry. I I misread what you had written. And I go, well, how has your year been since? And he goes, you know, I really don't want to talk about it. We're at a party and I don't want to talk about it. And I felt like so embarrassed that I had pushed him there. But at the same time, I'm like, but you did like post to your thousands of followers this whole thing about your father dying. And I'm strange for trying to, as your friend, legitimately have a conversation with you, yet you were really more comfortable doing that. And it's just, it made me laugh. It was like, everyone's comfort zone is different. He's comfortable doing it in that way and not having the conversation. For me, I'd rather have a conversation and not post anything. But it did make me laugh. He was like, I don't want to talk about it. If you look at the social media, it's like this giant thing of, of him talking about it. So it was interesting we're
1: all wired so differently. Like sometimes I'll see people freak out about something and be like, Oh, I don't freak out about that. But then I'll freak out about something. And I'm like, no one else freaks out about this.
0: <laughs> exactly. I tend to go deep. And for the most part, it's okay. I'm not a big small talk person. But that was one time that a person was like, no, I don't want to go deep. I just want to say hi, how are you? And I respect that he actually was very honest with me. You know, he was like, Nope, don't want to do this. And You can't be angry at someone for establishing a boundary with you. That was pretty fair. But I did think, you know, it's just a wild world we're living in. Um,
1: Oh, yeah, totally. And there's something in your book that was intended for storytelling, but it's actually a golden nugget for professional development. And so I wanted to chat with you about it. And that is the part in your book where you say, when someone is listening to someone tell a story, we think that they're like listening to the story, but really, on a deeper level, the audience is really listening to hear themselves in the story. Like even when we're learning about someone else, in some ways we're focused on ourselves. So can
0: you expand on that? Because I think that is just so helpful. Yeah, I mean, it means unless we relate to the situation a person is describing, we tune out. So it's like, you know, when you hear a person discussing their problem and unless you can relate anything to that, at times you don't have much to say or you don't feel invested in it. So it's the same thing when you give a talk You want to make sure that what you're saying is everyone's story in some way, because therefore they'll feel like, oh, this is about me. I'm included. I want to be a part of this. But when we don't feel included is when we zone out. And I've also found it fascinating how little people know about each other that have worked together, uh, maybe even in a small space or next to each other for years, decades, and they know nothing about the person. I thought it was really interesting. I, I gave a talk last year. For the Department of Human Services. And I was asking for some funny stories. And one person got up and said that she was telling a story about a woman coming in for her benefits who was very pregnant and ended up going into labor on the floor of the office. And it was this crazy story. And then another person in this, and I had hundreds of people in the audience, that stop, stop. Oh my gosh, this happened to me too. And like three people that worked for the Department of Human Services in this county said that they had had the same insane experience. And I just thought, how long have these people been working here together? Nobody has ever talked about it or shared it or fetched to the other person like, oh my gosh, my day. And how much better does everyone feel that like there are other people that have had that crazy day at work. And therefore, I think that it's this connection where it's like, oh my God, that's my story too. I'm invested in listening to this person. So I think that it's about being open about your experiences because you'd be shocked at how many people have had a shared experience with you. And then on top of that, I think it's about making your experiences kind of universal in a way and speaking about them in a way that people can relate.
1: Mm, I think that that's so helpful, especially because personal connections drive so much of our professional lives and what happens with us at work. And just understanding, I think that sometimes it's about thinking about what would be interesting to the other person or where are they coming from in order to connect with them. It could almost take the pressure off of someone to be like, oh, I need to share all this stuff about myself where it's more like, well, what does this person care about? What are they interested in? And when you come at it from that angle, for me, it can just be like, okay, I don't need to worry about myself so much. That feels a little better. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to talk about stories now, which is like the bread and butter of what you do. And I'm so excited. Just to share a little bit of context on sort of the intersection between the storytelling that you do, which is really a form of art and storytelling at work, is just that I have found in my professional experience that stories are one of the most compelling ways to persuade. And obviously, we use data and information. But when you can take data and information and stitch it into a story, it just becomes exponentially more powerful. And so I want to get a little bit of learning and advice from you on how to tell compelling stories. So to start off and kind of lay the foundation, Can you just tell us the difference between what makes something a story versus just like a blob of information?
0: Right. I think a blob of information would be telling me when your company was founded and all of the stats of where this company is today. Or you could tell me the rise to the top of this company of a specific person and their journey of how they got there. And that's just the flat out difference. So it can be like, this company was founded in 1937 our numbers were this and now our numbers are that. Thank you. Or you can say this company was founded by so-and-so person who was a mom of three, you know, and then you go there and then you explain this person's journey. It's very different. So it's a matter of humanizing a story. Oh my gosh. That makes so much sense. Why
1: is it, why do we love that so much more than like the statistic version?
0: Because I think we retain it, not fact. You know, I always think like this is just an example, one in eight couples struggle with fertility issues, right? We don't know that fact, right? But then I bet you could tell me all about Chrissy Teigen's IVF or Kim Kardashian's surrogates, you know what I mean? Like, those are stories of people dealing with fertility. And we retain those, but we don't retain the number. So it's like, once you put a face with something, you retain a journey of that. So it's almost like, for example, diseases, until you know someone that has it, it seems like an abstract thing. And then you know, someone that does have cervical cancer. And now you understand cervical cancer in a way that you didn't when facts about it was just being thrown at you. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, it makes it personal. Yeah. That's so helpful. And I want to get your thoughts on crafting a story and I know that a question that we all deal with multiple times in your career is sort of this question that's like tell me about why you're the right person for the role. It's like this tell me about why you. And that's a lot of pressure and it's taken me a long time to feel okay with that question. So, I want to get your thoughts on how to use story to answer that question powerfully.
0: I'm a big fan of having a really good origin story of you and why you do what you do and how you arrived at it. And I don't mean that you studied business in college and you've always wanted to work at a corporation and here you are. I mean like that first moment. I just heard a woman uh, the other day tell a great story about living in a small town and going on, I think it was a school trip to New York city and looking up and seeing the windows of the offices open at midnight, because people were still working, and her thought was, "I want in on this," <laughs> and it was so vivid to me. I would look at that and be like, "No, thank you," <laughs> but she saw that and was like, "I want to be a New York City person that works till." And I mean, imagine that and in an interview—it's a story and it's like a reason why she moved there, a reason why she does what she does. Or you can just say, "This is what I studied," and you know. I saw the ad on LinkedIn and here I am or whatever. So I do think a compelling origin story going way back of the moment that something in you clicked and made you realize that this is what you want to do. And it's maybe going back to childhood, but I think something like that will really retain somebody.
1: Oh, I love that. That's so interesting because I always thought that like my story of like, oh, here's the problem that we had and then here's what I did to solve it. And like, yes, that's a story. But I've never really shared like, oh, here's the moment that I realized that I love problem solving in this way. Like here's the moment the spark was ignited.
0: Yes. And I think going way back to that origin is amazing. And I love stories like that. I was really moved by this woman who told that story about the midnight offices the other day. I was really, really moved by it.
1: It's so compelling because it feels so honest and you can understand the feeling that she had and like that
0: pull that she felt. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like two sentences. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah. That's gold. I've honestly never shared story in that way before. I've always shared it in kind of like the more typical form, but I do think that's so powerful, especially if you can read the person you're talking to and also understand like what do they care about? And almost tailor it to that too, so that'll it'll it'll really strike a chord with them. Yeah, absolutely. I love that so much. And do you have any tips on how to make presentations less boring? I just feel like we're swimming in a sea of boring presentations.
0: We are, and that's why that was kind of the beginning of why I started working with corporations so much. But be yourself. I would say don't be afraid to be funny if you have like one or two lines in there that make people laugh, you know, it just changes people's breath and gives them a moment. But the big thing is, don't rely on PowerPoint too much, use story as much as you can. I think that it's a crutch for a lot of people. And it should be used to enhance what's being said, but it shouldn't be the whole presentation. It should be there to enhance a point you're making. I mean, no one loves staring at a slide with too many words on it.
1: It's so true. And it's a lot of mental burden for them also to like look at it and really understand it.
0: I mean, go and look at those Steve Jobs talks. There is such little PowerPoint from the tech guru. He's talking.
1: It's so true. He's inspiring. He's being inspirational. And I think that that's so powerful in a professional setting to actually be able to convey excitement and energy because then everyone else feels it. And then they're
0: like, oh, this is exciting. I'm excited to hear about this." I know, but to be frank, for someone like me, who's who's kind of a Luddite, I'm not excited about computers, but I am when I listen to him. I am excited yeah. about technology when I listen to him, and I'm not a big yeah. tech person. But it's not that what he's talking about, it's the way he's doing it, or was doing it, excuse me, because he's not here anymore. I write about him in the book, but I learned so much by watching him. And they're all available. You know, It's a really great resource.
1: Last thing I want to talk to you before we pivot into the next section is the idea of being captivating and someone who is really wonderful to look at. There's like a little bit of a lie, I think, in the corporate world that like loud, big, aggressive is sort of how you get attention. That bothers me for so many reasons that I won't go into. But I just want to get your thoughts on what else can be captivating and and can a quiet person be captivating? Can a quirky person be captivating?
0: Loud, does loud work
1: in your setting? When I was in the beginning of my career, I had a lot of men tell me, if you want to appear credible, if you want clients to take you seriously, like blah, 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 you really need to change the way that you communicate. And what they taught me like felt super uncomfortable, and like I really struggled with it, didn't feel good. And then actually, as I got more into theater and UCB classes, I was like... I, I always knew that they were off, but it wasn't really until I got into theater that I was like, wow, they have such a skewed perception of what grabs someone's attention. It has nothing to do with the bigness of it, and it has everything to do with the compellingness of it, and like, compelling and big are not synonyms in my mind at all.
0: It's like what I said before: the loudest person in the room, the funniest guy in the room, is usually not the person that is going to, you know, come up with the wittiest retort to something. I always think of who wins class clown in the yearbook. Are they the one that grows up to become a comedy writer? Probably not. Um, it's the quiet person taking notes in the back. So I don't think loud equals important, and I don't. I hope that we pivot away from that. I really, really do. But I do think there's something to be. Said for being comfortable standing in front of a group. I do think there's something to be said for being able to look out at a crowd and feel confident in that, not averting eyes and looking down or shuffling. I do think that getting comfortable standing in front of people and presenting will take the place of having to feel like you have to be loud. Speak normally and be in front of a room as long as you are confident, don't feel nervous, and I think you'll be okay. I'm trying to think of an example of kind of a more soft spoken person that I think is dynamic in front. And I'll have to come back to that in a bit. But I mean, I can think of comedians that are, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Hannah Gadsby is not the loudest woman in the room. And she's really, really, really successful, you know,
1: I love that topic so much. And it just it fascinates me the deeper that I go into it. And I'm going to ask you about you before we get into the next section. But where can listeners get in touch with you?
0: Oh, a couple places. So my site, margolightman.com is where most people contact me through there. And I try to get back to people as quickly as I can. And that's where you can find out about one-on-one coaching or hiring me for giving a talk or a presentation or a workshop, wherever that may be. And before COVID-19, I traveled literally all over the world to do these things. And I look forward to doing that again soon. Very excited about being alone on a plane after being trapped in my house with my family. Really, can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) And then also, I have an an Instagram at Margo Lightman as well, which I'm pretty active on. I'm not so active on the other social medias. I I have Twitter, but I'm not very active on it. (laughs) I totally feel that. Mm -hmm. One-on-one is a huge section of my business. I do tons of one-on-ones. So a lot of it is a person that maybe wants to go tell a story at the Moth. That's a lot of my business. But then it could be people that are working on some sort of presentation and it just needs to be funnier or they just need to be more themselves. What I usually do in the way I work with people is I don't have them send it to me beforehand. A lot of people want to. And I'm like, I'm not going to come at this from an audience perspective if I have a script and I've read this. And I want to see what this is like from a stranger in the audience. And then I'm going to be really, really honest with you of what my responses are, what I'm confused about, et cetera. So it comes off pretty great you know, a lot of YouTube people come to me that are like trying to get better at being themselves in their YouTube businesses. I have people that work in corporate, I have people that are trying to do better wedding speeches. I mean, I I run the gamut. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's awesome. It's such a wonderful, beautiful skill to develop, because I feel like that kind of confidence, especially, you know, whether it's for a speech or whatever the situation is, it really makes you confident everywhere. I feel like it ripples out into other
0: areas of your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love that. Okay. If someone's sort of like interested in your work and they're not sure where to start, I mean, I know you have books, you do so many things. Like what's a good starting point for someone who is thinking, oh, I want to go deeper into Margot's
0: work. I mean, my books, I have three books out. I'll go through them. So my first book that I wrote is called Gawky Tales of an Extra Long Awkward Phase. And that's a memoir filled with comedic stories from my adolescent years. And that is, um, if you want to just read some of my stories on the page, that's a great place to go. My second book, the biggest hit book, is called Long Story Short, The Only Storytelling Guide You'll Ever Need, which is available in paperback, audio, and ebook. And that one is a guidebook of a lot of my lesson plans and things that have worked. And it basically teaches you how to tell stories in an effective way and all of these techniques that I've used over the years that I've, I've had A lot of anecdotal evidence from my students of how well it works. And then my third book that just came out is called What's Your Story, a workbook for the storyteller and all of us. And that one um, is filled with guided prompts and lists and things to start generating stories if you're stuck and you need to start writing. It also gives you some really strong tips of how to start. The whole premise of that book is to get the story out of your head, onto the, the pages of the book, and then out into the world that book is built to write in. So those are the three books. And Mm. uh, so it's a really great place to start learning all things story from any one of those.
1: I love it. Long story short, just made me feel very inspired and, I haven't gotten a chance to do storytelling, but even just thinking about like work and presence at work, it was really, really fun to take some of what you teach in there and think about like, oh, how can I do this more in other settings too? And it's also, it's like a quick and easy read. There's just something about the structure of it that makes it feel like a fun little adventure. I really liked it.
0: Oh, thank you. When I sent that book out to get sold, when my agent sent that book out to potential publishers, It was interesting because it sold very quickly and had a few different offers on it. But one offer was higher money, and they wanted it to be like a business textbook for storytelling. And the company I went with, Sasquatch Books, who I love, who I've done two books with now, they were like, they offered slightly less money, but they said, you can do this book in the way that you want to. And I really thought about it. And I was like, I think in the long run, I'm going to take less money for it to be the book, write the book I want to write. So I wrote the book I wanted to write. And then at the end of the day, I'm sure I've made it back tenfold in royalties, et cetera, because it was such a hit. And I realized that it was such a good lesson for me of like, don't ever go for the short term prize. Do what you really is in your heart because the long term of that is going to be much better. And it really launched so much of my career to have that book be so successful. My public speaking and touring and workshop leading and such all came from from that. You know, That's where it really began to take off in a big way.
1: Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I feel like, the funness of your personality comes through the pages so much. Oh, thank you. And also like, it teaches you a lot about human nature too. It almost can make you feel less alone. Or if you're like, Oh, I'm not confident. I'm awkward. Something about hearing about like stories that connect us and how to find those and share them in a way with other humans. That's compelling sort of makes you realize that like, we're all on this planet, we all like have this weird shit that happens to us, you know, we all struggle. And it, I don't know, it gives you this feeling of
0: like, that we're all connected. And it's really nice. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I am the daughter of a sociologist. So my father, you know, has like a master's in sociology and everything. So I just, I am really interested in that, that part of everything, the study of people that interests me as much as hearing people do great stories. I'm interested in, what people connect with. And what I'm just fascinated. I took tons of sociology classes in college too, because it is interesting. And I think it does bleed into my work a bit.
1: Yeah, it's just there's something so special about it. And I'm excited to peek at your other two books also. Oh, thank you. Cool. Awesome. Now we're going to get into the three closing questions. They're different amounts, different interviews. Today we have three. I'm so excited to hear your answers to these. So, this first one is based on a theme that I've been exploring on the show. And I think a lot of women in our professional lives, like we have these lofty visions of like being the confident woman in the Calvin Klein dress, right? And all that stuff. And like <laughs> we have this crazy big goal. And I try to encourage Wait, Jessica, what color was your Calvin Klein dress? I had a lot of black dresses. But I saw red, and I also feel like there were some gnarly, like color blocked ones, you know, that were like.
0: Oh, oh okay. Yeah. I'm just wondering if we had the same one. I had the red and the royal blue. I had a royal blue. Was it like it. a flare
1: cut or like a pencil cut?
0: It had a built in belt. Yeah. And a oh, belt.
1: yeah. Belt like right at the waist, right? <laughs> oh. Yes. Yeah, I have to say, like one of the one of the most juicy moments was like when I got rid of my more business formal clothes and I dropped them off at um, like a secondhand clothing store, all in this like bag. When I was switching to a job where I could wear jeans to work, I just felt like the weight of the world lift from my shoulders.
0: I can imagine. Yes, that's great.
1: It was great. I (laughs) I have a cat. And so like when I put the bag down, there was like a mushroom cloud of cat hair (laughs) that emerged from (laughs) it and it was like this nuclear explosion, but it was symbolic of so many things. Yeah, you're like, it's someone else's problem now. (laughs) Yeah, felt so good. So good. Anyway, so speaking of, uh, oh, so were yours flared or pencil? They were pencil, you said? (laughs) This is an important detail. Yeah, more pencil. Yep, mine were too. Sleeveless? Royal blue was sleeveless, the red had sleeves. Oh my goodness. This dress just means so much to me. But (laughs) (laughs) anyway, (laughs) we have this vision of like this greater version of ourselves. And I try to encourage anyone who's like trying to grow or develop professionally to focus on the little tiny moments, like the little micro decisions that you can make to become the more confident version of you. And so I like asking guests to share like a story of a tiny moment in their lives or their careers that really represented kind of like moving Into a stronger version of themselves, like standing up for themselves or just doing something brave and courageous.
0: Yeah. In 2017, I just got this random email in my inbox asking me to go to India and perform and teach. I had a young baby and I was like, I have no idea how I will do this, uh, but I'm going to do it. And there's nothing that's going to stop me. I will never have an opportunity to go to India you know, for free again. And I mean, in everything, it was a disaster. It was like in terms of trying to get there. It was like my husband was supposed to be on a business trip that week that they asked me. So I had no one to watch my baby. And then my mom, I wanted my mom to watch my baby. And then she decided she wanted to come to India. And then I asked my dad to watch my baby. And he asked me if he had to sleep in the house. And I was like, yes, you have to sleep in the house. (laughs) And I was like, I can't trust you. I didn't know what to do. And then it was just so hard to get there. But I had this moment. I was like, I am going and I'm going to make this happen. So Long story short, my mother ends up not coming with me and she's, she's staying. I flew there the night that I got on stage to perform. I was performing in this festival called the Spoken Festival. And it was a spoken word festival it was the first time. And there was over 2000 people in the audience. And I stood up to just simply like tell a story in front of 2000 people. And on the other side of the world where I didn't even know there was a storytelling scene that existed. And I had a moment where I stood there and I thought, oh, this is bigger than I thought. This whole thing is so much bigger. I haven't even scraped the surface of what I can do with this. I didn't know that the storytelling was this big, like the type of storytelling that I do, personal storytelling was this big, even in this continent, the way it is. I can't imagine how many other places I have to go and how many other people there are to connect with. And it was really funny. It was like the second I walked on stage and I looked out into the crowd. And I had a moment of like, you've just begun. And it was really, really one of the highlights of my career to go there. And I told them that.
1: Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Last couple of questions. So the last one is about the name of the show, The Art of Speaking Up. And just wanted to get a couple of tips or words of encouragement to anyone listening who is still not comfortably speaking up and vocalizing themselves at work.
0: I would say if you mess up, less people will care or remember than you think most people are probably just thinking about lunch so just remember that most people are probably thinking about what they're going to order or where, where they're going to get their salad or is lunch being catered today or etc that is probably what's on 99 of people's minds so <laughs> if you mess up most people will forget It's true. I'm thinking about like, is this going to be the
1: kind of lunch where there's the chocolate chip cookie plate? You know?
0: Exactly. That's what you're thinking about. You're always thinking about lunch. (laughs) Always. Especially at work. It's the highlight. It's worse if lunch is messed up than what you say. People will remember that. I still, I had a calzone. I got the wrong calzone order when I was 17 years old. And when I worked at a drugstore and I still think about it. I was a vegetarian and they put ham in it. I'm still mad. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) And
1: the final question is my favorite part because it kind of speaks to why I started the show in the first place. I had a period professionally where I was struggling with confidence. I didn't have mentors. And I love to leave this last space for the guests to share anything with anyone listening who is either struggling or just trying to build confidence and feel more empowered at work.
0: My favorite expression, and I don't know who said it, is go where you are celebrated, not tolerated. So always keep that in mind. And even if you are celebrated by that one person at work that gets you, then stick with that person. If you are working in an environment where you, and I have left jobs recently for this reason, where you feel that you are just being tolerated and not valued, then go where you are celebrated.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Margo. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in. How fun was today's interview? I hope you found this conversation valuable. I know I had a blast interviewing Marco. She's so honest, so compelling, so funny. And I hope that you found one or two nuggets in here that you can take away with you to your work environment and maybe even just more broadly into your life. If you're ever thinking about taking a storytelling class or some sort of performing arts class or some sort of thing that just gets you out of your comfort zone, I strongly suggest that at some point you do that because these are the things that will truly take your confidence to the next level, especially if they feel scary and kind of out there and like something you might not do. That's the exact Way that you're going to grow and kind of bust out of your shell and become more bold and become more courageous. So, I hope the conversation inspired you. Thank you for tuning in. I will put all of Margot's information down below so you can check out her work. She is incredible. And with that, I want to thank you for tuning in. I love hearing from you. So, if you ever want to say hello, share feedback, The best way to reach me is on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me on Instagram at The Art of Speaking Up and on Facebook inside the Facebook group, which is also called The Art of Speaking Up. And I will link all of that in the show notes. I hope you're doing well. And maybe as a takeaway from today's conversation, maybe at some point this week, you can try to share a bit more or connect a bit more deeply on a human level with someone in your workplace. All right. I'm going to sign off now. I hope you're doing well and I'll catch you next week. Bye.